So this semester we're going to be studying uh, the ministry of a man named Elijah. So if this is your first time hanging out with us and, and hearing what God has been calling us to study this semester, welcome. We, we're studying the life uh, ministry of Elijah, and we're calling it Whirlwind. And all of us have kind of been in a whirlwind, and actually their stories are going to kind of illustrate the idea that all of us have kind of been in the space of up and down and all around. And so tonight we're going to jump into our next week of study, and it's called the Whirlwind of Accusation. And so kind of behind this is that all of us, have, we've made mistakes in our lives um, that have altered our future. And we have either placed the blame on us or the blame on circumstances, and we can't quite get to God's best for our lives. And we'll see this in Elijah's experience with Ahab tonight. Um, but here's the one thing we want you to get. Because of Jesus, we can go from bearing the blame to enjoying the best. And right now, JC's going to share a story from her life. Uh, JC's a freshman at IUPUI, and we're super excited to have her share tonight. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, I'm a freshman. So, obviously, that this means uh, I graduated in the middle of uh, coronavirus. So... Um, it was about March when I was first told that I wouldn't be going back to school. Uh, I was really upset at first. I worked for 12 years for something and then it just be cut off in really the middle of the good part, I guess. Uh, graduation canceled, prom canceled, senior skip day canceled. Wow. Everything was just over. So um, I, was, I was upset about it and I really definitely thought why I've been a good person, I've been a good Christian, why is God doing something like this to me? Like, what did I do that would take away something that I've worked so hard for? Um, so I definitely, during this time, my mental health was rough, my physical health was rough, and my spiritual health was rough. Uh, I blamed God quite a lot during this time, uh, and really just lost perspective in general of what was important in life. Um, so, as backstory, I really didn't want to go to college. Uh, I was really nervous for it. I, I mean, I wanted to go to school, but I like being home. I like my family. I, I was not comfortable with the fact that I would be leaving home for multiple months at a time. Um, so then I was home for six months straight, not able to really do anything. So as school started to come, I was actually more excited for it than I thought I'd be because I was just ready to go do something and meet people and talk to people um, so having all that time at home was actually a blessing because I was able to spend that time with my family and just be ready to leave. Um, at the same time, a man in my town got coronavirus, um, and he had coronavirus. Like he was on vent for weeks. He wasn't. His family wasn't able to see him. Um, all of his sons were posting. Uh, like Louis Strong went all mm. across the town um, and that was a really humbling experience because here I was devastated that I didn't get basic high school things when they weren't even allowed to see their dad and they weren't sure if he was uh, gonna make it so as much as my sadness was valid it was not nearly as intense as what theirs was so that definitely also put it into perspective um, so really it's just made my transition to college easier than I thought it was going to be. So while I was upset with God, he knew the whole time what was the better option for me. So uh, like you said, uh, because of Jesus, we can go from bearing the blame to enjoying the best. Amen. 
All right, Blake's going to read First uh, Kings chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. All right, so after a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the surface of the land. So Elijah went to present him to present himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria. All right, so we're calling this section Promise Maker, Promise Keeper. And in, in the third year of the drought, so they're in the, they're in the thick of this drought. And in, in their culture, in Israel, during that time, for it not to rain was putting everything on the line. Their entire economy was brought to a screeching halt. Uh, can you imagine in an agrarian society, uh, Ahab was very, very upset because everything he was wanting to do, uh, evil-wise, was kind of put on halt as well. It wasn't just that he had... Uh, you know, other intentions of Israel directing their attention to Yahweh. He was worshiping Baal and Asherah, like we talked about before. And so he had gotten everybody off track. And so Elijah was called by God to go. And the Greek word halak is used here, and it's used twice. God asked him to halak to go, and then he halaks. <laughs> he goes. And it just kind of shows that Elijah was obedient to God, and he did what God wanted him to do. What a great example for us uh, that Elijah went when God asked him to go. And it may remind us of the Great Commission that Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more later on, but Jesus' last words before he ascends into heaven was to go and to be obedient to God's call. And so, we're going to continue in our passage of 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 3 through 15. Ahab called for Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a man who greatly feared the Lord and took 100 prophets and hid them. 50 men to a cave and provided them with food and water when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets. Ahab said to Obadiah, Go throughout the land to every spring of water and to every wadi. Perhaps we'll find grass as we can keep the horses and mules alive and not have to destroy any cattle. They divided the land between them in order to cover it. Ahab went on one way by himself, and Obadiah went the other way by himself. While Obadiah was walking along the road, Elijah suddenly met him. When Obadiah recognized him, he fell with his face to the ground and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? It is I, he replied. Go tell your lord Elijah is here. But Obadiah said, What sin have I committed that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent someone to search for you. When they said, He is not here, he made that kingdom or nation swear that he has not found you. Now you say, Go tell your Lord, Elijah is here. But when I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord may carry you off to some place I don't know. Then when I go report to Ahab that, and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my mouth, from my youth. Wasn't it reported to the Lord what I did with Jezebel, slaughtered the Lord's prophets? I hid a hundred of the prophets of the Lord, fifty men to a cave, and I provided them with food and water. Now you say, Go tell your Lord Elijah is here, he will kill me. Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before I, whom I stand, today I'll present myself to Ahab. So we call this section the Obadiah effect. And and maybe as you're reading through that, you kind of had to identify with Obadiah as he's in the middle of the situation. And Obadiah is described as a devoted follower of the Lord. And his name literally means a servant of the Lord, a servant of Yahweh. He's definitely living up to his name. And being 
in charge of the entire palace of Ahab and Jezebel, even in the charge of the, it didn't keep him from faithfully following God and, and hiding these hundred prophets in two different caves, 50 each. And they've done archaeological studies on, on this area of the world. In this mountain, there's, they've counted up over 2,000 different caves. So this was a perfect place for him to hide these prophets. And he does this uh, because he's a follower of Yahweh. And I love this quote by uh, Frederick Beekner. It says, The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And so that is true. Like God had him in his sweet spot. And we just the other day, Ethan, one of our campus ministers, was in the parking office getting his parking pass renewed. And as he's sitting down at the desk getting it renewed, he notices he hears a very familiar Christian song playing from the computer, but it's so faint he can't quite hear it. And so he's just trying to hear it. And then he asked her when she came back and she said, oh, oh yeah, I, I, I'm a Christian, you know, I try not to turn it up too loud. I don't want to offend anybody. I think a lot of us are like that. We, we don't want to turn it up too loud, uh, largely in part because people are nasty. Christians can be so mean to so many people, and we don't want to be categorized as someone who's belligerent. And so, so a lot of times we don't say anything at all. So Obadiah, he sees Elijah. Elijah is this character that you can't miss. He's got this hairy clothing. He's got a leather belt. I mean, you can't miss him. He knows it's Elijah. And so he recognizes him, and Elijah comes straight at him with the challenge. He says that he wants him to come out publicly as a follower of Yahweh. Uh, what a huge uh, thing to ask for someone to come out and to publicly say that, that he was there and that he was looking for him. And so as surely as the Lord of hosts lives, Elijah makes this promise to Obadiah. He says, I will present myself to Ahab today because Obadiah, he's like, my life is on the line as surely as the Lord. God's going to take you away somewhere. I'm going to come back and I'm going to be dead. And that fear was real for him. And Elijah assures him, no, go and get him. I'll be here when you get back. So let's uh, read the last part of our passage, uh, verses 16 through 19. <clears throat> so Obadiah went to me, Ahab, and told him. Then Ahab went to me, Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you destroyer of Israel? He replied, I have not destroyed Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet, to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400, or in the 400 prophets of Asheriah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Okay, so um, this section uh, we're calling Identifying the Ruiner. Um, he comes straight up to Elijah. You troublemaker of Israel, you ruiner of Israel. And he comes at him just accusing Elijah of causing all this problem, this famine and everything that's going on in the land. And Elijah comes right back at him and he says, actually, you are the, the troubler. And the word that they use there, troubler, uh, ruiner, is the same word that's used to describe a man named Achan in the, in the Old Testament in the time of Joshua, who was a thief. And uh, he was both stoned and burned for his uh, efforts as a thief. And so when Ahab says, you are the, the ruiner, you are the Achan, uh, you know, in a way, son of an Achan, you know, uh, what an what a intense thing for him to say to Elijah. 
And so this, this is in your face. And so sometimes doing the right thing will not make everyone happy, especially a pagan king in this instance. But when we obey God, it doesn't mean that everybody is going to be happy with us doing that. And so the biggest reason why uh, Ahab and Jezebel were not doing what God wanted and were described as troublers, ruiners, disturbers of Israel was because they were not, they were refusing to obey Yahweh. They were refusing to obey God. And Elijah wants uh, this to be seen um, by everyone on Mount Carmel. So that's the showdown that everybody knows probably about Elijah's life, the confrontation on Mount Carmel. That's next week in our life groups. Uh, and so we want to leave you in anticipation for that next week. Now Blake's going to share a story from his life and what God has been teaching him and, and uh, just allow us to further identify with the passage. Yeah, so like Andrew said, my name is Blake. I'm a junior here at IUPUI. And uh, when Andrew first asked me to talk about this message and I kind of skimmed it over, I thought, man, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about. So um, my senior year of high school, I kind of had, had an idea and I kind of knew what I wanted to do um, in college, or at least I thought I knew what I wanted to do. Um, for the longest time, I thought I was going to go to Franklin College and play, play baseball. I had the opportunity to play baseball there. And, uh, and actually, my best friend was going to, to Franklin College at the time, and he was going to play basketball. And we kind of talked about uh, being roommates and stuff like that. And I actually had a lot of friends that were at Franklin um, ahead of me at the time. So Franklin seemed like the, the comfortable option for me, and it seemed like um, that it was something that I was, I guess, destined to do um, from what I thought. Um, and not to mention, I had a lot of friends that, that pushed me to play baseball, and I thought this would be the, the best opportunity to do that. And uh, uh, my mom actually played D1 softball, um, so she didn't pressure me, but I kind of felt that pressure from the family to, okay, maybe this will make them proud if I, right. if I go do this. Um, so kind of for all the wrong reasons, I was thinking about going to Franklin. Um, and kind of as I, as I prayed about it um, throughout senior year, I kind of felt myself not feeling as pulled to Franklin, I guess you could say. Um, and that was kind of scary because I really didn't have a plan B at the time. Um, so I'd only, I'd only visited two other colleges um, with Franklin. Um, so one being Wabash College, and no offense to anybody that's watching, watching this that went to Wabash or whatever, or had previously gone to Wabash, but I definitely knew that wasn't for me. I definitely knew Wabash College wasn't for me. Um, and my other one was IUPUI. Um, and besides the fact that I really liked Indianapolis, I mean, I'm from a small, small town of, of Tipton with about 4,000 people. Um, so I, the, the big city intrigued me, but other than that, I really had no connections to IUPUI. I didn't, I didn't know anybody that went to IUPUI. Um, so as senior went on as I, and I continued to pray about it, I kept getting this, this strange feeling of, okay, maybe IUPUI is for me, and I feel this pull to IUPUI, but I couldn't really explain it. Um, and it felt like God was, was really saying no to, to Franklin and, and kind of pushing me to um, IUPUI. So long story short, fast forward to May of my, of my senior year, um, like 30 days till graduation, um, I finally pick IUPUI. I kind of, kind of kicked Franklin to the curb, I guess you could say. Um, but and it was scary because, so like I said, I didn't know anything about IUPUI. I'd only visit there one time. I didn't know anybody there. Um, and so fast forward to uh, me, or actually, we'll back up. So um, as a freshman, you know, um, the roommate situation can be scary. Uh, so I actually um, applied to go to the tower at first. So that was my first application. Um, and I was, of course, being uh, choosing my college at, uh, in May of my senior year. Uh, it was obviously booked. So I kind of felt like God was, was telling me no again. 
Um, and so then I applied for North Hall, which, I mean, the dorm experience, I guess, and obviously that was full, so it just felt like, man, God, I was, I, I followed you, and, I, and I, I did what you told me to do and come here, but, like, you're not really helping me out much here. Right. Um, and then so finally, later, on, later down the road, um, somebody referred me to the Riverwalk Apartments, and I was like, okay, it's not going to be the dorm experience that I was really looking for, um, but it'll be something, I, you know, I'll get, I'll get a roommate, I can probably handle one roommate, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Well, it turns out I get three roommates. I get a four-bedroom apartment, and uh, actually, two of my roommates are um, to this day are uh, two of my closest friends. And um, come to find out on move-in day that um, they're Christians and and their faith is actually probably stronger than mine, which was which was crazy at the time. I mean, how how uh, how many college kids can can really say that? Um, so really, without them, um, they introduced me to Andrew and to CSF, and um, without them and without me pursuing what God or me pursuing what God told me to do, and, and um, I really wouldn't be in the position, position I am today with CSF. And so um, just kind of kind of listening to, to God when he wants to do something uncomfortable um, is really kind of the key to my message. And actually, um, through Michael and Tim, you guys probably know them, Michael, uh, Michael Shetler and Tim Hostetler were my roommates at the time. And through them, I met Isaac Dimery, which was my roommate last year. Um, so... Just kind of a, a core group of guys that really shared the same faith and really pushed each other in, in their faith um, was really awesome for me. And um, just a kind of a cool experience I've had through college, and it's kind of made me realize how lucky I was to um, not pick Franklin and to really really follow God's word and, and come to IPY when I really had no idea what was in store. Um, so yeah, so it's just been it's been a whirlwind of of um, the past three years, but it's been it's been awesome to to kind of grow in my faith with these guys and. Um, to have the position I am with CSF and um, my relationship with Andrew, so I wouldn't have had that if I wouldn't have um, kind of taken that leap of faith. So yeah, that's kind of my my story. Awesome. And you can see how both of their stories work beautifully with our theme about moving from a, a season of blame, whether that's yourself or God or someone else or circumstances that are outside of your control, and then moving into God's best for our lives. And so what we want to do as we close our time together is to go back into the passage and and grab some applications, some, some ways that we can kind of live the passage that we're studying tonight in uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. The first thing is that God keeps his promises. And so God never actually has promised us a resistance-free life. Uh, Jesus actually promised us in John chapter 16, verse 33, that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, which is so encouraging to read and to take in. And so, but there are lots of promises in the Bible that God has made and that God will keep. Uh, the most quoted verse in the Old Testament is the, the one from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, where it says, Yahweh, Yahweh, uh, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We know all those things about who God is and he will stick with us no matter what. Show us compassion all the way through, no matter what circumstance we're actually facing, we know that God will be with us. And, and then the second thing is that it is, it's time to take your faith public. Like Obadiah, he was in a crisis moment. <laughs> was he going to be uh, this guy behind the scenes uh, working uh, subversively within the, the kingdom? Or was he going to step out vocationally and risk everything for the fact that Elijah will actually be there when he gets back. And he, he did. He stepped out. 
And we've said many times that your faith is meant to be personal, but it's not meant to be private. And I think that that's huge. And, and Jesus was very clear in his last words before ascending to heaven, like we said earlier in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when he said, Go into all the nations, uh, make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's our mission as Christians, is to go out. And so don't let someone else's uh, obnoxious behavior or being belligerent on social media or just being a, a jerk, honestly, uh, detract from you actually sharing the gospel. We need your voice in the conversation. We need you investing in other people's lives, whether you're in your chemistry class or you're in I-Corps or whatever you're facing. We know that God is with you all the way, and, and we're, we're in crazy times still. Don't get discouraged. We, uh, we had all kinds of plans. We're getting ready to post today, actually, to promote our intramural flag football team. And we had two teams last year. It was one of the, the, like the highlight of our sports ministry last year. Awesome. And they canceled it as of yesterday. And so that email was very discouraging for us. But we know that God is working. He's moving. Even when we can't see it, he is working. And so the last thing is to recognize the ruiner. Jesus is quoted in John 10.10 uh, 10 as saying that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so maybe you've ruined your life. Maybe you have. You made a bunch of mistakes, or maybe somebody else uh, in your life has, has ruined your life. They, they've, something they've done to you or said about you, and it's ruined your reputation. I, I don't know, but I know that Jesus wants you to have the best life possible, and we need to recognize the ruiner. And so uh, maybe that was someone else, but we do know that we have an ultimate ruiner in our midst, and it's the devil, our enemy. He's been our enemy from the very beginning. Uh, he's been wanting nothing more than to destroy us and to make us think that we're each other's enemies. And it is, as long as you think that somebody else is your enemy, uh, you will never become who God wants you to become. And we have one enemy, and it is the devil, and he wants to tear us all the way down. And so that's going to transform how you look at other people. They're not your opponents, uh, even though they may seem that way. Uh, they're people that God loves, that he made in his image. And so just as we close tonight, let's just look and just imagine and dream for a little bit. What would happen if we decided to live out this passage and these things that we've talked about? Uh, I was just thinking about something else that Jesus said. Not to, We can't overquote Jesus, can we? He's our Lord and Savior. He died on the cross and rose from the dead. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, he said, Simon, Simon, this is Peter, uh, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. I want you to imagine tonight, just imagine Jesus praying over you. That even though the devil wants to sift you because of your circumstances, because of what has happened to you, because of the bad decisions that you have made, Jesus has prayed that your faith would not fail. Your faith is simply, I kind of segues really well into this, it's just trusting Jesus. And maybe, maybe you haven't made that decision yet to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We want to encourage you to make that decision tonight. We have someone, if you're watching, you're of course watching online, if you're watching live, we've got someone in the chat that's there to to have a conversation with you. We'd love for you to reach out to us. 
got a page on our website that's just dedicated to all kinds of initial decisions that Christians have made for 2,000 years. Um, we actually had a student that got baptized yesterday, and so we just want to encourage you to, to, to reach out. We'd love to talk to you. The, the page on our website is csfiupui.com slash baptism. And it doesn't just talk about baptism, but all kinds of decisions that you can make, whether that's believing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or is that confessing Him as your Lord and Savior, repenting uh, or being baptized, or maybe you've made all those decisions and you're kind of just wanting to help learning what it means to be a Christian. We would love to talk to you more about that. But just one more time, or one thing, because of Jesus, we can go from bearing the blame to enjoying the best. Thanks for joining us tonight.